Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, the podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon from the dawn in the 1930s to the now. At this point, we've stopped off on that train in 2010 with the latest installment of Show Feet. <laughs> 2010's Tangled. I almost introduced it as Rapunzel. Go, whoops, nope. Funny story. Well, I mean, it was going to be originally before they decided they were going in a cool new direction. Fox, could you please not give away the whatever land while we haven't even gotten to... <laughs> I thought everyone knew that. Plot in 60 seconds and it's your go. Oh no, it's my turn. Stuff actually happens in this movie. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, maybe you should have taken some notes. Fine, whatever, I got this. (laughs) That's my horse noise. Your time starts now. There is a magical flower of eternal youth that is guarded by a jealous old woman. And... It is uh, sought by a kingdom to save their queen who is in danger of dying during childbirth. And they find it! And it cures her. And it's great. And then it turns out their baby is born with magical gold hair that has inherited the properties of the magical healing flower. Unfortunately, this leads to her being kidnapped by the jealous old woman and raised in secret. So nobody else can have her fountain of youth properties. Uh, fast forward, she is 18 years old and wondering who she can possibly be because she doesn't know because she's been locked in a tower by the jealous old lady her entire life. Fortunately, she meets a charismatic thief and in a moment of desperation bargains with him to take her to see the outside world and discover the true meaning of the visions she's been having in her dreams since she was a wee babby. Uh, also they fall in love and it's very cute, uh, and there's a rad horse. Oh, there's like an ending and stuff. Um, um, listen, it gets complicated, but all you need to know is that there's a dramatic sacrifice and the thief proves himself to be a good guy and she proves herself to be capable and competent and also a lost princess with magical healing powers. Uh, and everyone lives happily ever after, as I understand it. Well, everyone who lives, lives happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean? I'm pretty sure no one would die horribly in a Disney movie. Yes, so, that's... <clears throat> I gotta say, you did kind of yada 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 the whole... Yeah, there's a lot of, of setup going on here. <laughs> Your entire first minute of that explanation didn't get them out of the tower. You need the context! <laughs> the setup is most of what happens. The rest is just the inevitable roll towards romance. You know, the movie. The remaining (laughs) 80 minutes of movie. Yeah, but that's not plot. (laughs) You wanted plot in 60 seconds, not romantic development in 60 seconds, which is not long enough, let me tell you. I'm I'm not here to judge. After all, I'm the one who managed to finish all of Winnie the Pooh in eight words. (laughs) But I would say... Maybe you missed a spot or two. No, no complaints. Oh, please. It was fine. You got all the important details. (laughs) All right, then let's talk about the double take. I astonishingly have one of those. Astonishingly because this movie is only like, when did you say it was? 2010. Only like 10 years old. It's only like 12 years old. (laughs) Look, 12 is like 10. 
I know some relatives who are adamant about the differences <laughs> between 12 and 10 years old. Uh-huh, and the fact that they care that much is why 12 is a lot like 10. Anyway, what's your double take, Fox? I really enjoy this movie, first of all. Since this happened, I have watched the TV show. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good, yeah. really. But the bits of it that are good are not the bits of the movie that are good. And re-watching this, I was surprised to remember how much I liked Flynn. Sorry, Eugene. Because in the TV show, he's kind of a tit. <laughs> and you sort of get mad at him for being the foregone romance conclusion when there is a person Rapunzel has more chemistry with. I've used the term in the past, unbeard. Where a <laughs> character who is meant to be the love interest for someone is so obviously incompatible with them, it makes them seem less straight. Um, a good example of this is Kyrie from Kingdom Hearts, where <laughs> Sora and Kyrie are probably some kind of destined couple, but Kyrie is so lacking in any traits at all, it creates the impression that that isn't actually a relationship, that's just two people assuming that has to happen at some point. Ironically, she does this for both of the the male leads, because at last check, the pitch starting out is that they both want her and they kind of compete for her, and her nothingness makes them seem hilariously more into each other. Yeah, we're going to hold back on going in-depth on Kingdom Hearts sure, sure, sure. Yeah, until yeah. we get paid enough to do our Kingdom Hearts play-along podcast, where Fox is going to play all of the Kingdom Hearts games. Yeah, you're going to have to give me enough money to quit my job, because that is the only way you get me to play Kingdom Hearts at this point. But in the TV series, Eugene is an unbeard. Yeah, e Eugene kind of sucks. It's not even that he kind of sucks in the, op in the first couple of seasons, before they ramp up the silly plot stuff. Eugene is just a nice, homogenous idiot who follows around Rapunzel and occasionally enables a plot. He is a gay bestie to her. He, yeah, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. And that just as a byproduct makes Cass and Rapunzel look so much more of a couple, even as her boyfriend is standing next to her. And they didn't need the help to seem more gay, because they already work quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, th they just, it seems like they were so unsure of how to handle the romance continuing between these two characters, that they just sort of went, ah, whatever, we'll just have him keep doing Flynn-type things. Well, I mean, we're boxed in at this point, because there's a Happily Ever After movie that's a not-quite-TV-movie sequel that's meant to show the wedding, and it's got some weird stuff in it that's different. I haven't watched it. I have not seen this before, ever, after, right? That's it, yeah. And that was go that is the end point of the TV series, and the TV series is therefore uh, unfortunately made into a midquel, and the relationship between Rapunzel and Eugene... <laughs> has to be compatible with both ends of that, which mm -hmm. is a bit frustrating because otherwise these two characters growing together and having a, a fairly lovely G-rated Disney sexless relationship <laughs> could have been a perfectly fine point. But Like, I really like them in this. I was expecting to be kind of disappointed with them. Mm -hmm. Especially, I feel like I didn't harp on it enough when we did Princess and the Frog last episode. 
that I re- I don't find their romance very convincing at all. Oh no, he's terrible. barely learning to be a decent person, and suddenly they decide they're in love with each other. It doesn't really uh, doesn't really work. But I believe in these two. It is the same dull, inevitable thud of two characters colliding because that's the trajectory they were put on by the writers at the start that populates the Hallmark movies we've watched and (laughs) also has the same dynamic energy of a pair of pleasure craft that have been left alone at opposite ends of a lake. (laughs) They just eventually hit each other and go... Mm. And this could have easily been that. Yeah. But it wasn't. I think just because it has enough energy and, like, there's enough sincerity to the near-death experiences together that you, you do believe they've actually bonded... Plus, I feel like Flynn's a better person at the beginning, Eugene. I don't know. Maybe it's just that I don't really have a problem with stealing, as long as it's from rich people. I have a different double take. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so I have two double takes. One tiny one, which is, without the context of the TV series, the dad in the movie is much more likable. That was going to be the next thing I said, yeah. Because there's Eugene, and then there's dad, who in the TV show... Is an asshole. Yeah, they have to make him do more stuff. And that means that he winds up having opinions and expressing thoughts that we never have to deal with here. Mm-hmm. It turns out that, yeah, this guy kind of sucks. Whereas in the movie, he is wholly conveyed by just some of the most amazing facial animation I have ever seen. Mum kind of gets screwed because she's got to be Disney pretty. So, like, she's emotive... She's got the huge expressive eyes and everything, but they're not willing to, like, make her face contort in a meaningful way. Whereas Dad, you see the tiny little twitches around the eyes and the really meaningful stuff that when, you, when you've when seen a, a manly man, like, when you've seen a big square dude with a beard try not to cry when he's been crying inside for 20 years, is yeah, it's, it's very well done. Uh, and I had a great deal of affection for our unnamed unspoken king character until he became a fully fledged character in the TV show. And then he was not good. He's voiced by Clancy Brown in the TV show. <laughs> That's also a bummer of a thing to waste. I wanted to be good. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I guess we don't want to spoil the TV show, but they they had to use her dad as... Not an antagonist, but an opposing force mm-hmm. to her wants in the TV show. And there's a lot of, why don't I just repeat the behaviors that traumatize you to begin with? He's a bad parent. Yeah. Anyway, now to get to the obligatory mention of a YouTube video or other media criticism form, take a drink. Uh, my double take is inspired by the youtuber cj the x oh that's right that's an excellent video and you should all look for it which is about how if you cut the first five minutes off tangled the movie is better and they're 100 percent right they yeah. are they are just absolutely stone cold 100 percent correct that it's really rough i still like this on the watch through mm. but that's a it's a real can't unsee kind of revelation as as soon as you understand the idea you're like oh shit yes it would be so much better the prologue provides you with no information that the movie does not provide you as well and it does not do it without also in the process diluting the revelations later the 
I think the thing about this that makes it such a remarkable concept of like cut those five minutes off the start is that when those minutes aren't there explicating things in the text, you have to ask, does the text make this point clear on its own in some other way? And it does. Every single bit of it is made completely clear and in such an astonishingly mature way, I, I can definitely understand, right? I'm not saying when you watch this with little kids, skip the first five minutes and go, yeah, children, don't you see? The greater pacing. <laughs> like, don't don't be that person. I understand that that prologue is there for the same reason storybook openings were in the previous iterations of this model of film. Yeah. It was something necessary for the youngest and dumbest of the audience. Well, it was something that they probably decided was necessary. Fair. I don't know that it is. Because kids have become very, very media savvy over the years. And like, I mean, we all know she's Rapunzel. There's no mystery about that. We all know who Rapunzel is because we know the story already. There's no question of whether or not she is a magic hair princess. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even very young kids can put this together because you do start from the obvious point of like, yeah, well, she's the princess. And what we have revealed to us is how the fact that she is the princess fits in with the other stuff that we're gradually getting. Like, I, I, I'm not saying, no, they were idiots. They should have, they shouldn't have dumbed it down for children. But I reckon they could have gotten away with it. With the double take out of the way, the next step is the yikes door slash product of its time. Hmm. I have no notes. Which is not to say, hey, this movie is blameless because it is also fantastically white. It is dizzyingly white. There is, after after The Princess and the Frog, it's kind of an interesting follow-up that this movie, as far as I can tell, has no character of colour in the whole thing. You know, unless you count Bloodshot as a colour. <laughs> ah, yes. A skin condition that happens to the whitest of white people. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, look, the closest we're getting to racial diversity in this is there's a bunch of, like, Norse names. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, ostensibly, it's meant to be set in Denmark, I think, and Mozart exists in this universe. There I you mean, go. I it's, it's set in a kingdom with magical healing hair. I, you, you don't tell me this is Denmark. You know what? Actually, Maximus is a cop. Is that a yikes? That's the best I can think of. I mean, I guess we have the general yikes of being deeply and profoundly pro-monarchy. Everyone loves this monarchy. The princess is beloved by all the subjects. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is an uncritical good that uh, Flynn should stop taking things from rich people who don't need them. Yeah, they're going to hang him for stealing shit. Right? Like, that's some shit. I get that it's the crown jewels or whatever, but still, man. I actually kind of get it in, like, literally this instant, if it's actually Rapunzel's crown. Because suddenly it's a matter of, like, we're not hanging you because the law says that the that the royal crown jewels are a hanging offense. What's happening here is a super upset, traumatized dad is lashing out at someone who touched his dead daughter's stuff. Which also sucks. Kings suck. But... Literally just considered that there might be, like, special rules for, like, and you will not fuck with the things of the princess. It's true. It's true. I mean, those rules would only happen by abuse of power that is engendered by monarchy. Yeah. But 
Uh, you're right. It, it could just be an un... It could be a disproportionate response to a deeply upsetting thing. All kings are bastards. All kings are bastards. I guess the TV show was right. Yeah. So you get that kind of... like. This is the thing that's going to happen with the Yikes door as we get closer and closer to our immediate now. Because a lot of these movies are being made very close to the current zeitgeist by the Empire that is doing its best to appear as if it fits into the current cultural context. And that means that these Disney movies are, in general, going to have a lot less stuff that makes you go, hang on a fucking second, like they used to. Because we, we have come a long way <laughs> since the crows. We have. We have come a long way since the crows. But not last episode were we very upset by, if nothing else, a lot of fat jokes. That's true. We can always rely on Disney hating fat people. And despite the fact that they would have had every chance to do that with their colourful cast of ugly thugs, none of them was the hilarious fat guy. The closest you get is the mime. And yeah. He was also a mime. He's only funny because he's a mime. He doesn't do any, like, bodily humour. That's wild. Yeah. Good job, Disney. Now do it again. <laughs> uh, what's next on the list? Okay. Uh, hmm. Well, we'll see. Okay, so we're, to recap, we're letting it off with a light pro-monarchy yikes. And that's about it. And also the all-purpose yikes that this is the product of an empire trying to assert itself over culture that oh. this is the digestion of german myths turned into american product the stuff that you already know look out it's a disney movie yeah look hey look it's invisible bullets whoopty shit go read that it's much better than i am i suppose one could give like a genuine content warning for this because there is some real abusive parent shit going on True. here that could be Really triggering if you've dealt with this stuff in in your own life. I am, in fact, pulling that up in the uh, grand thesis section. I mean, it to be clear, it's expertly executed, but that's part of why it might be worth a warning. It's it's very believable and very real and very upsetting. I don't think we've seen such a good bad parent since Frollo, and that's saying something, man. Christ, yeah, Gothel. That's a, that's a comparison. That's a comparison that sticks with me because I remember when we first went... We went to see this movie in theatres. Yeah. We went and saw this movie at the... I've forgotten the name of the place. The Gala. Yeah. We went to go see this movie at the Gala. I remember us going in there in the middle of the day and with some Woolworths purchase snacks in an otherwise empty theatre. <laughs> I mean, we definitely did not sneak outside snacks into a movie theatre. We've never done that and we never would... Yasha didn't give a shit. And I remember saying after it was over that I thought it was the best Disney movie I'd seen since Hunchback. And, like, Gothel and Frollo are both just a cut above the villains in every other piece of Disney media. Like, oh yeah, people have fun with the other ones. But, like, good God. Sorry, you just... There is a level of insidiousness to their behavior, which is above and beyond the sort of pedestrian villainy that most Disney villains do. Like, you know, they scheme and they're evil, and maybe they even kill someone's dad, and it's not like those are the acts of a good person. But the the careful, uh, what's the word? The careful deformation of a child 
to suit their purposes is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, above and beyond yeah. the, the typical fare that we get here. There is an interesting comparison to the scale of the personal intentional evil. Frollo smelling the neck, Gothel stabbing Flynn. Like, these two characters both do things in a direct way that even Scar didn't do. Scar threw his brother off a cliff to be stampeded by something else. There was not even a moment of violence between the two of them beyond that. So, I don't know. It's just, it's remarkable that that point of comparison just lands that hard for me. It's true. She's astonishingly hands-on. I mean, we we saw Facilier be a little more hands-on in the last episode, but, Mm. uh, you know, they still both straight up killed a man. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, technically, this is the Yikes door. Right. That's where we were. All right. I think we can close the Yikes. Yeah. There is nothing particularly upsetting about this film except that it's white as fuck. And from there, I would like to take us on to the animation and making section. Mmm. Boy. Um... I have such mixed feelings about this movie. Because, like, they did... They they made a beautiful traditional animated thing with Princess and the Frog, and then they decided that they were not, in fact, making a triumphant return, and they were just gonna do 3D after all. And, you know, that broke my heart a little bit. But also, this is absolutely the best-looking 3D movie that anyone had done at this point. I don't care how much you like Pixar, this just elevates the style as far as I'm concerned. It, it It's not what they originally wanted it to be. Like, when they talked about this, the goal was for it to look like a living painting, and I was so excited for that. Um, and it doesn't. It looks like a 3D movie. But it's got much nicer handling of, of colours and lighting and textures and whatnot. And there are a good few stills that you might believe weren't 3D necessarily. Uh, mostly... The things that make it hard to look past the 3D are like the super close-ups of characters' faces, particularly Rapunzel and Gothel. Um, but like, there's a there's a scene where Flynn is lying face down. I keep calling him Flynn. I should really call him Eugene. There's a scene where our our male lead is lying face down on the floor and not moving, and in that moment, he really looks like he's painted onto a background. So like, I gotta give them credit for that. So, this movie is triumphant in its making, mm. but I want to outline for you the scale of its time. <laughs> because the person who pitched this movie is Glenn Keane. He was big in the 90s. In 1996. Yeah. It was then pitched to CEO Michael Eisner again in 2001. Mm-hmm. Eisner approved it and said that it had to be 3D and Keane blocked it because he felt that the 3D couldn't live up to the idea at that point. I mean, it wouldn't have. 2003, they announced it for a 2007 release. So they were saying they were going to take four years and they explicitly compared it to Shrek. Yeah, I remember a lot of the early advertising. This was based on how like sassy and cool and not fairy tale princessy Rapunzel was going to mm-hmm. be. Uh, mixed in, feelings about that too. In two thousand and five, they pushed it back to two thousand and nine, and then a little more time got involved when Lasseter got involved with the project. Basically, this movie was on the cook 
for about 14 years. And I would believe that. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, what it is is not something you can do on a whim. Mm-hmm. But you might notice Glenn King was not the person credited as the director or writer. No, that right. I saw his name on Princess and the Frog, not on this. Yeah. Uh, see, Kane had a heart attack in 2008. Oh, shit. And that's when he revealed uh, to the staff that he was not really doing the directorial work and it was all being done by another guy who got credited instead. So, good on him for owning up to that? I guess. When you say it like that, it sounds like he'd been taking the credit previously and, and just not worrying about it. I, I'm going to assume there was not some fucking conspiracy here. No, it's just that the public didn't know he wasn't directing the movie until it came out. Oh, public. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's no big deal. And the directorial work up to 2008, he was doing. In fact, yeah. he was doing too much. Sure. You know how we know? He had a heart attack. He had a fucking heart attack, yeah. <laughs> um... The tech development was a nightmare. <laughs> the specific program for animating hair took six years of full-time development. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> In January 2010, the animators and directors were still not sure if Rapunzel's hair was going to work. <laughs> would have been quite a thing and then coders who'd worked on bolt showed up with hey here's a shortcut we used for bolt in march and they were <laughs> able to make rapunzel's hair work which wow. just this is a thing that i do love deeply about 3d animation that 2d animation can't pull off in the same way like if a, if a resource from one 2D movie is being moved to a re, to a different 2D movie, it's a matter of, we freed up this excellent artist, or these excellent artists. Now, to be fair, that's not really true. But the bits that are transferable aren't, like, they are the bits that are computer-generated or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, uh, you're not wrong. You can't say, hey, we did some math for a dog, and now it can help a girl's hair. Well, <laughs> I mean, you can produce the background software for Tarzan, for example. That's a good point. <laughs> but ultimately, that's not a... T it's The resource is not 2D in this scenario. So animators had to originally, in January, move portions of the hair as animated objects and individually oversee them, which meant the process Ugh. of moving her around a room <laughs> took <God>. days. <laughs> the Bolt Code update meant that the entire process of her moving around went from days to minutes per frame. Sorry, per sequence, not frame. God. We're talking, yeah, we're not talking about rendering here. We're talking about uh, actually creating. Mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Glenn King did want the movie in 1996 to be 2D animation. Yeah, obviously. In 2003, uh, the demand was that it be a 3D animated one. So Glenn King got all the animators they had together and held a seminar called The Best of Both Worlds where he and 50 CGI and traditional artists hashed out all that they could come up with for the pros and cons of each style. And then they all collectively decided to make Tangled a 3D movie. Don't get me wrong, if they hadn't gone with making it a 3D movie, the movie wouldn't be made. The executives have made that clear. But the fact that they were able to get a bunch of traditional artists to sit down and go, yeah, all right, we'll sign off on this. It it feels like a case of, can we 
make people feel good enough about the 3D version that we could actually make it. And the traditional artists were given oversight over the 3D artists and were told to try and enforce the 2D Disney aesthetic, breaking out the fundamental principles of animation documented in the book The Illusion of Life Disney Animation by (laughs) Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. As you do. Uh So, yeah, like, there's a reason this movie looks like it had tons and tons of care poured into it. Because they had (laughs) more time, more people, more effort. Yeah, and, uh, you know, what we got as a result of that is exactly what you should get. If you can just give a movie more time and more effort and more money, right? Like, there's nothing... There's nothing astonishing about this movie. Yeah. There's nothing revolutionary. It's not, like, new and amazing and, like, changes the way you think about stuff so much as it's just, like, this is the amount of polish you need to put on this if it's gonna work to this kind of standard. I talked about this with the backgrounds in The Sword and the Stone versus the backgrounds in Black Cauldron, where... For the background art style you have in the Black Cauldron, your only option is to just get more people to draw more stuff. That's just how it has to be at that stage of technology. Yeah, hire some painters. There is no other way this happens. Yeah, and that means every scene you want. You need a new background. Sorry, that's literally the only option. It's entirely linear production. Whereas in in this case, you did have that fractal spread of, you know, everything getting more complicated on multiple levels all at once. What'll really twist your ears that this movie was getting treatments when the uh, cleanup artists were finalizing stuff for Emperor's New Groove. Ah. So I just want you to visualize being the the cleanup artist for Emperor's New Groove and in the same building... Like, a different room in the same building. Like, the the camera pans to the side through a wall, and suddenly you're seeing these people talking about how, oh, no, we're not going to release this movie until 2009, at least. (laughs) They're they're working on the movie that's going to make 3D animation good for things that aren't bugs and robots. (laughs) And we get to work on the movie we have to put out this year. And again, in this this roleplay scenario, you're a cleanup artist. You did not sign up. Well, there's also that, yeah. For this, and you did not sign up to have an argument with other cleanup artists about what the character design should be. That's not your job. Alright. We gave Emperor's New Groove enough of a kicking in its own episode. Let's get back on track. Want to talk about voices? Uh, yes. Why not? Okay. Uh, really small voice cast this time. I don't think I recognize anyone in this from anything else ever. Alright. I'm sure Gothel has been in a lot of stage shows because she sounds like someone who has sung Broadway since she was six. Uh, but everyone else? Mandy Moore's name makes me think of a pop singer. It is a pop singer. But that's all I got. Do you remember in the late 90s a song called Candy? No! (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Because I was already a teenager in the 90s. And that sounds like a song that would have been for 10-year-olds. It was a song in the same vein as the Christina Aguilera, Vitamin C, Spice Girl category of generic teen girl music. Anyway, Flynn 
slash Eugene is voiced by a guy called Zachary Levy. You will not recognize that name, but he's Chuck from the series Chuck. <laughs> and he's also the actor who plays Shazam. In the, the recent one? The live action one? Yeah. He's the beef guy? He is the hunk. Wow! I would never have guessed that. You're right that Mother Gothel is uh, Broadway. She's Donna Murphy. Mm-hmm. Who, yes, bunch of theater stuff. She is the original voice of Audrey the Evil Plant from Little Shop of Horrors by Ashman and Mencken. That's quite vintage. Yeah. (laughs) She, she is the, she is the big mean mother from out of space. She is, like, institutionally important. She does have a hell of a villain singing voice. Like, that's... (laughs) If you think about every Broadway number you heard done by a female villain, like, that's that's the voice, right? There's generally only one, and it's that voice. The goons include Brad Garrett, who is the elder brother from Everyone Loves Raymond, who has just a very notably deep voice. You, he's been in a bunch of animation stuff. I believe you. I never watched a lot of that show. The Stabbington Brothers... A Ron Perlman. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I'm almost disappointed now because you can see that in them. I just never would have guessed it was actually also in. Uh-huh. They should have uh, talked more. And the big-nosed thug who has something that oozes, uh, he's Jeffrey Tambor, who... The Arrested Development guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shine's come off that apple. Oh, that's right. He was gross. Yep. Definitely and... grosser than oozing. And that's pretty much it. The uh, music was, again, Alan Menken with Glenn Slater, and their focus was on the feel of 60s folk rock. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I wouldn't say I got that off of most of it. It's it's definitely a bit too pop for me. I don't know 60s folk rock enough to say either way. Like, I feel... Well, I mean, you've heard a lot of Simon and Garfunkel. They are definitely folk rock. It's the rock that's making me go... Guess. Okay, okay. <laughs> I guess a lot of their stuff is less rock and more folk, but they've definitely gone there. I, I am I seek not to argue with you about the Garfunkling. <laughs> I seek not the ire of sixties folk. But uh yeah. Uh sure. I either way, I, I feel like this is definitely a little bit more spangly. Uh especially uh Rapunzel songs in particular. Mm. I don't love the songs in this. I just found myself so deeply relieved that there were songs in this and that the characters sung them. Yeah. Like, I once again, the original marketing really played up the whole not not your parents fairy tale kind of angle. Um, you remember the trailer that was like fucking spy interrogation shit based on the the scene where Rapunzel and Eugene meet. I do have a song from this on my playlist. You do? The trailer used Pink's Trouble. Oh, that does not count. That's what made me go, that's a pretty cool song. I'll go pay a dollar on the iTunes for that. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That's why I have (laughs) it. Well, that's not a song from this. Was it in that? No. Uh, And there you go, though it was in the trailer, and that's exactly the kind of attitude that made me very cautious about this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And as you say, they compared it to Shrek at one point. Like, they wanted that market share and it looked for a bit like this was going to be just a deeply cynical 
sort of pop culture-y bad taste take on the whole Disney princess thing, and they were gonna, you know, continue making fun of their own heritage and just being so insufferably genre-savvy that you'd want to punch them all in the face. But, like, this actually has quite the sincere heart behind it, and it was such a fucking relief. Yeah. You know what? Put that in my double take. I was gonna comment on how they don't actually sing the love song to each other. It's it's just played in their voices over their stuff. But then in the final chorus, they do actually break out in song to each other. And like, that's the shit. That's what you gotta do. Just, ah, you gotta cross that threshold. I was just really glad to see that, that in going back to the princess formula, they weren't going to go back and be shitty about it. And continue making fun of the very idea of being Disney. This is just Disney with a 2000s flavor to it. Or, well, a 2010s flavor to it at this point, I guess. This is just a Disney movie, but with a 2010s flavor to it. It's not a DreamWorks movie that's that has to make fun of Disney movies. Yeah, I like that. And that's true of Princess and the Frog as well, but that felt... I mean, it, it lacked the story that made it work, because the... the its understanding of its characters was so flawed. Uh, this, I think, really found its footing, and that's why it so thoroughly laid the framework for what was going to come next. 72 years ago, I remarked, <laughs> talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, that men hit men to make men do what men would do, even if no one hit them. The relationship between men and violence is pretty much the only thing i found worth noting in all of that particular movie because men are the characters with motivations and ideas and stuff and i wanted to bring to the forefront that this is a movie about the violence women do to women incredibly so and largely the men in this movie are emotionally grounded willing to talk about themselves, willing to share their feelings and willing to apologize, even if they don't actually apologize for anything in this movie because they're not that important to it. This is the grand swing of the arc of history of going, well, what if we made a movie that much like Snow White is about a woman and a, a mother who uh, resent each other in some way and made that actual antagonistic relationship, the thing the movie is about, and Gaslight Girl Boss Gothel is absolutely... Oh, you were waiting to pull that out. No, I wasn't. That just came out there. <gasps> no way. Is absolutely brutal to watch because it's unfamiliar. You don't see this in a lot of movies like this, and you don't see it delivered so wholly like for a moment one yeah she's you can tell she's always found this she's always found Rapunzel easy to deal with because she lacks even Frollo's level of subtlety like yeah. she's just like the second line out of her mouth is a put down uh and it just keeps going from there mm -hmm. one could argue that at the final point the removal of agency from her is Eugene and that's like you know, kind of a crap thing because he's the one who cut her hair against her wishes and 
I get it. But also, in that moment, he was sacrificing his life as he understood it. So it's not quite the same thing as I have a better plan. He wasn't expecting to get out of this. He was trying to commit to something to save her in the same way she was trying to commit to something to save him. And it just so happens that the way it worked is he wound up being okay. Yeah. We have what we usually have, a conflict of sacrifice yeah. in, in a dramatic romance story. Uh, both of our heroes were in that moment intending to give their lives for the other. And it would, don't get me wrong, it would be nicer if there was a version of this narrative that fixed that, that didn't necessarily have that. But the solution there is, let's have like a dozen more movies about this, so we can see lots of different <laughs> ways that kind of scene can play out. Yeah, I don't think that it's problematic in context, necessarily. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't say it rises to that level. Um, if you were looking for it, if you were looking for a thing to get mad about, it could be that his... Yeah, that's fair. ...act of agency overrides hers, and that's a common thing. In a movie that up to that point had otherwise been about... Her discovery, her wants, her emotional needs, her emotional demands, and the antagonist to her emotionality. On the other hand, he doesn't complete his arc without this this moment. Uh-huh. And it was gonna be his last moment, which is also pretty cool. Yeah. I like both of these people a lot. A martyr may indulge a little pardonable swagger. That's Gilbert and Sullivan, isn't it? Yeah. You and your classic musicals. <laughs> You're more of a theater kid than I ever was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like these two. I Rapunzel is not my favorite type of Disney princess, especially because we have seen, and we're going to see going forward, a lot of the hapless optimist, mm. relatable Disney princess. And, you know, that's not my favorite flavor. No. I'm in love with, like, Esmeralda and Bogantis and stuff. But they're also probably pretty boring to to teenage girls these days. Not everyone is as self-serious as I was as a teenager. Also, visual templating, like, they get it right with, um, they get it right with Rapunzel, and then they kind of use it a lot. Yeah, yeah, this is something I would roll back. Like, I could deal with her eyes being several orders of magnitude smaller. It's, it's going a bit far. Like, you remember back when we were looking at, at Belle and Ariel and being like, Jesus, they have these, like, huge round baby faces and giant baby doll eyes. And uh, I was not prepared at the time for how much they were going to ramp it up when they went into 3D. And I do feel it's kind of to the, the detriment of these characters. Um, it's not as much of a problem with Rapunzel. I feel like it comes up more for Anna and Elsa later on. But there's a certain, like, mouth corner duck face effect that you get when you're trying to keep the mouth tiny and pretty and girly, but also have it, you know, emote. Um, and it becomes more evident the more you see this basic face structure get recycled uh, for, for our white Disney girls going forward. It even affects Moana a little bit, which is upsetting, because, like, her, art, her, her sketch art looks so much better. Uh, but I, I feel like she got just a little bit frozen uh, before she came out. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on into the future about character design. Uh, Rapunzel is fine in context and as the, the first one of these awkward Disney princesses we've seen in a while, I don't mind her. I would have liked to see something more different for the, the next one. 
if I'm going to say my grand thesis was about how this is the correction of and inversion of Snow White, you could also make the case that she is, as a character, the actualization <laughs> of what people said Belle was. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. You know what? Also, I want to give her full credit for a very believable range of emotions. Like, I do really love that coming out of the tower sequence when she's just so full of everything um, that that she just swings wildly from emotion to emotion. Um, and, like, it's, it's played for laughs because it is funny, but it's also just intensely uh, uh, believable for someone in her situation. Like, yeah, no, that, that totally checks out. Uh-huh, yep, absolutely. I believe this is how your emotional state works at this point. Uh... Yeah, she's good. She's very cute. Shall we move on now to whatever land? Uh, sure. Oh, let me begin. All animals are dogs. Yeah, Maximus is a dog. <laughs> not, <laughs> not even kidding. <laughs> like, they're making jokes about it at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love how much they lampshade it with this. I mean, he fucking wags his tail. Horses can't even do that. It's... It works. And even in the role he plays in the story, he's a fucking dog. Like in any other story about an animal working with the cops who's better at being a cop than the cops are, that's a dog. Mm -hmm. They just needed someone who could also be ridden, so we get funny dog horse. And he's really funny. And his animation is also fucking top notch. They enjoyed him so much. Yep. There's a lot of him that has the 3D version of the Swift Smear that they loved so much at Warner Brothers of a character snapping into a new position but then holding still in that position for much longer than their animation suggested. Yeah, yeah. Like, our main characters get uh, serious, real-person type animation. Uh, and Maximus gets to have cartoon character animation. And you can feel how much they're enjoying that. This movie was originally going to be called Rapunzel Unbraided. Hmm, interesting. And then just Rapunzel. Uh-huh. Um, John Lasseter has gone on the record and said that they changed it to Tangled to appeal to the Four Quadrants. The Four Quadrants, huh? Yeah. Oh, you know about this. I don't. Oh, Four Quadrants is marketing terminology for basically young women, older women, young boys, older boys. Ah. It's it's just the... (laughs) You thought you were going to fool boys into watching this. Yeah, I mean, it worked. (laughs) It's... What's kind of stupid... Yeah, I don't, like, in fact, it is a thing Glenn Keane has said was really stupid. Yeah. Um, because this, I mean, it stands on its own. Have I mentioned that the action in this movie is great? I have a note here as well. This whole thing moves like a video game level. I know. I. It's a shame that Disney tie-in video games were universally shit at this point. Because they, this could have been so fun to play. It has a Wii game? I bet it's bad. And a DS game? I bet it's really bad. And I don't know, you could have had a grappling hook game with, with, um... You could have, and it's not like you couldn't have done that well on the Wii. But, not when you need to get it done in time to release alongside the movie. Oh my god, I just realised you could do all the Cuso Grande genres using just scenes from this movie. (laughs) Anyway! I thought you were going to say you could do a whole Cuso Grande tournament just based on shit Disney tie-ins. Uh, Roy Conley revealed that the team had been heavily pushed for a feature-length sequel to the film, and the animators returned a report which was two sentences long. 
It's done. She cut her hair. It's over. Yes. And they're not wrong. I, I said earlier that the TV show's not bad, actually, and there's some, some cool stuff in it. But we've looked at some Disney storage which end quite conclusively in the past. And this is definitely one of them. It's over. And part of the reason that you know it's over is because when they tried to make more of it, they had to come up with bullshit excuses for her to get the hair back. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and the TV series should be viewed as a really beautifully animated fanfic that you probably want to read. <laughs> like, it, it is a fanfic that says, look, can we, can we undo that ending just so I can have more story? Yeah, but just be ready for the disappointing petering out when it doesn't end and what it does finish on is bad. I don't know why you'd mention that. It has three good seasons and no other <laughs> part of it was made. There was not a fourth season, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even if that means I have to give up Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I would give up Bruce Campbell to save Cass. Yep. Anyway, good flag. Good flag, yes. In fact, I, I'm kind of tickled by the... The idea that it was such good iconography that it's stuck in the mind of an infant. Because it is. It's really good. Um, a, I don't want to go like full flag thread on this, but one of the things about flags is if there, there are flag designs that I will often bollock over for because they're clearly only really doable with a computer. There are lots that are really easily generated with a computer. And so people think that's a good flag. I'm like, no, that's super hard to replicate if you're using... The tools to make a flag, which are scissors, string, and fabric. You need to treat a flag like it's panels of fabric being manipulated in a position. And the thing is, that seven-pointed star is actually really easy to do with fabric. Because... Oh, right. You do have to cut that curve correctly, but you can fold it so you only have to cut it once. You cut it once, yeah. and then you unfold it, and it's done. And you can, and and the technique for folding a folding a piece of fabric into sevenths, if you're doing this with a square piece of paper or a three D object, that's really annoying on a computer. But when you have an actual piece of fabric, folding <laughs> into sevenths is a known solvable thing. And so, like, it's it's just a beautiful flag design to me because. You get it right as making a flag, as opposed to we have made a design and now we make that a flag. I am sure no one put that much thought into it. I am sure that there's no one in the Disney office who's sitting around going, well, we need to make sure that we can make this with a compass and a string. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure it was... We Well, actually, no. You know what? The... The... What do you call that? Spiral symmetry? Is important... Radial, thank you. The radial symmetry is actually really important to how it appears in her artwork. So they might have deliberately thought about a shape that had to have that radial symmetry so they could use it that way. It has corality. You, that flag, flying backwards, is wrong. Ah. If you If you take that flag and flip the design, you don't get the same flag. You get an incorrect version of the flag, which is... Good! You want that! You want flags to not be symmetrical so that you can tell things with it, you can signal movement with it. Yeah, okay. You want the flag to have vertical symmetry from top to bottom. Um, If the flag should be flyable in any way. So, for example, the trans flag, you can't fly it incorrectly. And that's the point of that flag's symmetry. There's no wrong way to be trans. In the case of of many flags that are used on boats, you do want them to have 
uh, asymmetry vertically so that you can tell when one is being flown upside down as a distress signal. That's funny, considering the purpose of the Union Jack. Yeah. In the case of the flag in Tangled, the flag does show when it's being flown upside down, and it does show when it's being flown backwards. There is There are two wrong ways to fly that flag, which means that it's perfect for putting on boats, which we see! All right, from your expertise to mine. <laughs> Good animal sidekick character. Yeah! I... I like Pascal. Pascal's amazing. Pascal has a body count. Pascal fucking murked a guy. I, yeah, Pascal, our hero. <laughs> I, it, it contextualizes his urging her to, to act on her, uh, her need to leave the tower in an entirely different way. Like, he's been planning this. Yeah, he can tell who's the bad person here. Pascal, Pascal wants to ick Gothel. Pascal is a good friend. And now consider how many times we see Pascal making threatening gestures throughout the rest <laughs> of the movie. Like, Pascal has plans. <laughs> good, good chameleon. I, that's, that's the friend you want to have on your team. The friend who will kill your abusive mother if it comes to it. I guess I just want to say Eugene is very pretty. And I like that so much. Yeah. He seems like a guy whose face was actually designed to appeal to a female audience. And I feel like it's been a while since we saw that. I I would say Prince Naveen, when he's a human, he has a similar face structure. He has the same elegant length to his face. Yeah. Um, but we don't see it very much because he's a frog most of the time. And it's true. It's true. He is handsome. He's also a bit of a turd, so it's... Yeah. He does ruin himself with, with his attitude. It's true. It's not like Eugene's perfect. I want to end by asking you something, though. I want you to picture Rapunzel's face, like, as she looks in the movie, just as accurately as you possibly can. Just embed that in your mind, picture it as best you possibly can, and then answer me the, the, the immediate yes-no that jumps into your head. Does she have freckles? No. Right! So this is a thing. Because <laughs> she's designed with freckles. She has freckles in all the design work, in all the the credits art. She has freckles in the TV show when she appears in 2D. Yep. But she doesn't have them in the actual fucking movie. And I can only assume this is because they were goddamn cowards about it. It's possible she has them in some shots and I just didn't pass them. Like, I would go back if I was to look and look at the moment where she's basically cowing Gothel. They are there in a really subtle way. It's not that they're completely missing. But you wouldn't notice them unless you're looking for them. Yeah. And when I see every other piece of drawn art of her making them really clear, really obvious, they're clearly meant to be part of her character design. And I just don't understand why they're not there. Yes, you do. You just said it. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're fucking cowards. It's true. That, that gets on my tits in a big way. You know what else gets in your tits in a big way? Capitalism! Exactly. What do you reckon the budget was like for this compared to Princess and the Frog? <laughs> Astronomical. It's yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that's Definitely up. more. Uh, 260 million over Princess and the Frog's 105. So. <laughs> yep, only about twice the price. 155 million more. <laughs> over, over like 14 years, but also. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I was taking that into account. But also, like, this is another case where there's a shitload of new technology that's gone into it. Uh, and, you know, uh, 
those 14 years were paying people to shine this motherfucker. What do you reckon the take was like compared to Princess and the Frog? Also astronomical. Yeah, uh, 320 million more. Right, and Princess and the Frog made like 200? 271. This 271. made 592. Yeah, yeah. This made 0.6 billion. I'm not surprised. Critical reception! Broadly speaking, it's exactly what you expect. People on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic <laughs> love this movie. Everybody loved it. Some people thought the songs were a bit too pop. Well, we got this wonderful piece of input with, from James Berardinelli, who said it was in- entertaining and enjoyable, but not groundbreaking. And stated Rapunzel is not as memorable as Snow White, Ariel, or Belle. The fuck is memorable about Snow White? Or Belle. I think what this b- means is we know who he had a crush on growing up. <laughs> She doesn't even have a personality. She's just a scared child until men show up and then she becomes their mother. Todd McCarthy, film reviewer for The Hollywood Reporter, said, It would have been nice if Disney's self-touted 50th animated feature were one of its best, a film that could stand with the studio's classic, but the world will have to make do with Tangled, a possibly entertaining hodgepodge of old and new animation techniques, mixed sensibilities, (gasps) and hedged commercial calculations. You shitty asshole. And the thing is, I wasn't that into this movie. Like, I like this movie. I think this is a good movie. But I was not... But, like, you you provide criticism. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. But reading those two sets of comments, I will fight for this movie. (laughs) I... Okay. No, look. The the comment about finances, yes, definitely. This, more than anything, feels like a safe bet. Yeah. Um, The only thing courageous about it is that it at least had the guts to just be a Disney musical. It has... Gothel's entire gaslighting <laughs> routine. It has the focus of this movie being a woman and a woman and their relationship to one another. Okay, And yeah. no romantic subplot tension between them that drives that. It's all about control. It has Pascal kill someone. <laughs> you want to talk about brave decisions. We did see two characters kill someone on screen in this movie. The marketers. <laughs> Those people were fucking cowards. They the were, people yeah, who put right. pink, and this is not, I'm not, I'm not slagging <laughs> off pink here, but the people who made the pink trailer, those people, the people who said, oh, we have to rename it from Rapunzel. Those people are cowards. <laughs> the people who pretended that uh, Rapunzel was like a martial arts badass with her hair, because that's how you get kids to watch a movie these days. And I would have watched that. Yeah, sure. But the movie I got fucking owns. So I kind of don't even mind being lied to. Like, I would resent it more, but, like, the movie I got is so good, I don't care. I mind being lied to. Fuck that. And that brings us to the end of this talk about Tangled. And now, what's next, Fox? I mean, they wouldn't do something ridiculous like put out a second Winnie the Pooh movie and... And say it's part of the Disney animated canon. Not not in 2010 of all years. See, I thought that you wanted us to go back to traditional animation, Fox. No, not like this. Not like this. 